This is the first ever edition of the Scottish Football Citizen, bringing you the best of Scottish football from the past. I'm Andy Kerr, and this week I'm joined by Robert Harvey and Jim Orr, as we look forward to this weekend's Scottish Cup final at Hampden Park, between Heart of Midlothian and Celtic, by delving into the past and revisiting a famous final from 1956, in which these two teams faced each other. On the 21st of April, 1956, Heart of Midlothian went head-to-head with Celtic in the Scottish Cup final, the 71st final of the competition. Celtic would normally be considered the favourites by many, but were thought to be in a bad way as they had finished 5th in the league on 41 points, 11 points behind their arch-rivals Rangers, who were the champions, with 52 points. Celtic's Cup final opponents were Hearts, who had finished the league strongly in third place with 45 points. In the modern era, we're used to hearing about how Hibernian had a Cup hoodoo until they won the Cup in 2016, but back then, Hearts had a Cup hoodoo of their own that they were desperate to rid themselves of. Hearts' last Cup final had been a repeat of this fixture, where they were defeated 3-0 by Celtic in 1907 and their last Cup win had come in 1906, when they defeated 3rd Lanark 1-0. These two teams had also been in another, even earlier final, in 1901, when Hearts defeated Celtic 4-3 in a gripping game at Ibrox. Around Edinburgh in the 1950s, there was a music hall joke that neither team from the capital had managed to win the Cup for half a century compared to both the Glasgow teams, who were regular winners. Celtic had last appeared in the final in 1955, when they were defeated 1-0 by Clyde in a replay, after a 1-1 draw in the initial fixture. The initial fixture also happened to be the first ever televised final, but the replay was not televised. The initial tie had an attendance of 106,000, 234, but the untelevised replay had a disappointing crowd of around 68,000. Celtic's last Cup win at this point was in 1954 against Aberdeen, a 2-1 win for the Hoops. The 1956 final would be Celtic's 27th, as opposed to Hearts' 4th. What happened elsewhere in Scottish football in the 1955-56 season. St Mirren were beaten 2-1 by Aberdeen in the League Cup final at Hampden in October 1955, watched by a crowd of around 44,000 people. The previous season's Scottish Cup winners, Clyde, finished 17th and were relegated alongside Stirling Albion in 18th. They would be replaced in Division A the following season by Division B winners Queen's Park and runners-up Air United. In the Junior Cup final, Peters Hill cruised to a 4-1 victory over the Ayrshire side Luger Boswell Thistle. In the Home Championship tournament, Scotland went on to share the title with England, Wales and Ireland after all sides finished on three points each. Scotland were defeated 2-1 against Ireland, 
beat Wales 2-0 at Hamden and drew 1-1 at Wembley against the Old Enemy. Scotland's goal scorers in each of these games were Laurie Riley against Ireland, Bobby Collins with a double against Wales and Graham Leggett against England. The Scotland national team also played a friendly match against Austria at Hamden, drawing 1-1 thanks to a goal from Alfie Conn. What was happening elsewhere in the world on the 21st of April 1956? The big story in Britain was the continuation of the Suez Canal crisis, when British Prime Minister Anthony Eden was accused of having misled Parliament in order to justify going to war alongside France and Israel against Egypt. The Glasgow Herald reported, London talks on Middle East as Suez crisis goes on, as the USSR weighed in on the international stage. The great worry among many people was of the USA and USSR using this particular conflict as an excuse to go to war with each other and use nuclear weapons. Elsewhere in Scotland, on the 21st of April, the Scottish Grand National was held at Ballside Racecourse in Irvine and won by Queen's Taste. The UK number one single was Poor People of Paris by Winifred Atwell and spent three weeks at number one. The top grossing cinema release at the time was The Man in the Grey Flannel Suit, starring Gregory Peck, Jennifer Jones and Frederick March. And elsewhere, in the sports pages of the Herald, the main headline was Hearts Opportunity for Cup Triumph, Celtic's task at Hamden. In the match preview that Saturday, the Herald's football correspondent wrote that due to Celtic suffering from injuries and poor league form, Celtic are almost certainly less fancied to win today than they have been on similar occasions. By contrast, he mentions that Hearts have never had a better chance of winning a cup final. It would be surprising if they did not outpoint Celtic in team play. Not even the most rabid Celtic supporter can visualise the green and white forward line matching the maroon-clad attack. Before we look at the final itself, let's have a look back at how both sides reached the final, starting with Hearts. They entered the cup in the fifth round. They beat Forther Athletic 3-0 at Tynecastle. In the sixth round, they beat Stirling Albion 5-0. Next, they faced a tough contest in their quarter-final against a strong Rangers team managed by Bill Struth. But Hearts beat Rangers 4-0. This set up a semi-final encounter against a very good Wraith Rovers team at Easter Road. 58,448 fans watched a hard-fought 0-0 draw. The replay was four days later at the same venue. It was a slightly smaller crowd of 54,223 fans. Hearts won 3-0 with goals from Jimmy Wardhall, who scored two, and Ian Crawford's. Hearts had reached the Scottish Cup final without losing a single goal, an impressive feat. Celtic started their road to Hamden 
with an away game to Greenock Morton at Capelo. Celtic won 2-0. Next was a trip to Somerset Park in the sixth round, where they beat Air United 3-0. In the quarter-final, they beat Airdrie 2-1 at Celtic Park. In the semi-final, the opponents were Clyde at Hamden. Celtic beat the Bully Wee 2-1 in a close-fought game. This game was played on a day of wild weather in Glasgow, with many fans complaining about the Hamden swirl, as the wind swept throughout the stadium's cavernous bowl. This was in the days before the West Terracing was covered. An action-packed game saw Celtic take the lead in the second minute with a goal from Jim Sharkey. He scored again in the 19th minute with a penalty kick. Clyde almost immediately got one back through Billy McPhail, but they could not score an equaliser to force a replay. The attendance for this match was given as 65,200 fans. The Glasgow Evening Times newspaper named Charlie Tully as the best player on the pitch, with Willie Fernie also gaining plaudits. Celtic progressed to the Scottish Cup final. What about the Hearts team? They found themselves unexpected favourites in the Cup against a depleted Celtic team who, despite their good Cup record, were unfancied by many. One of the reasons the Hoops were so unfancied was due to the terrible trio of Hearts, the formidable forward line of Willie Bald, Alfie Conn and Jimmy Wardhaw. Hearts manager Tommy Walker had assembled an impressive side at the time, but it was the forward line who many teams feared coming up against in games. Willie Bald, later described by Sir Alec Ferguson as the best header of a ball he'd ever seen, would go on to score 183 goals in his 16 years at Tynecastle and earn three Scotland caps, scoring two international goals. Alfie Conn scored 115 league goals for Hearts, he would only be capped once for Scotland in a match that took place two weeks after this cup final and would score Scotland's goal after 12 minutes against Austria. His son, Alfie Conn Jr, would later go on to play for both Rangers and Celtic. Jimmy Wardhaw joined Hearts in 1946 and for many years was Hearts' record league goalscorer with 206 goals and 303 league appearances. While John Robertson would later take this record from him, that's still a very impressive goal tally. Despite being born in England, just to the north of Berwick-upon-Tweed, he made two appearances for Scotland and nine for the Scottish League eleven. With so many goals from all three strikers, the Celtic defence must surely have had some worries about coming up against the terrible trio. It wasn't just up front that Hearts had the players to hurt other teams, they had them all over the park. One such player who would go on to do things on an even bigger stage than the Scottish game was Dave Mackay, who spent six years at Tynecastle. Mackay went on to make 22 appearances for Scotland and scored four goals on international duty, but also became a Tottenham Hotspur legend. You may be familiar with the famous picture of Mackay telling Leeds United's Billy Bremner in no uncertain terms just what he thought of a bad tackle the wee man had made on Mackay 
who had not long recovered from a broken leg. While Mackay hated this photo, many people, including Sir Alec Ferguson, loved it. Fergie loved it so much that he had it on his wall in his managerial office at Old Trafford. Mackay would also join Derby County and become their manager, but he would always remain a Hearts man until he died. John Cumming is another Hearts legend who featured in this game. Cumming was the epitome of the term one-club man. He earned nine Scotland caps, was never booked in his career, and was the only player to win all seven trophies that Tommy Walker won in his tenure at Tynecastle, making him the most decorated Hearts player ever. Dave Mackay said of Cumming, he never had a bad game. It was either a fairly good game or an excellent game. Hart's captain for the 1956 final was Freddie Glidden. He may only have scored twice in his 165 league appearances, but was a solid centre-half who relished a big game. And Hart's manager, Tommy Walker, was about as influential a man as you could ever find at Tynecastle. In his time as a player with the club, Walker was an inside forward with 21 Scotland caps and 9 goals on international duty, with another 10 unofficial wartime caps under his belt. He eventually left Hearts to play for Chelsea after the war, but came back to his beloved Tynecastle and took the manager's role, becoming one of their most successful bosses ever, and he had his eye on the Scottish Cup in April 1956. At the time of this final, Celtic did not have a forward line akin to Hart's terrible trio or Hibernian's famous five, but did have individually brilliant players such as Bobby Evans, Bertie Peacock, Wally Fernley and Charlie Tully. They also had a manager in Jimmy McGrory who knew the club inside out. From his time as a successful centre forward, under the management of the great Willie Maley. McGrody still holds the position as the record British goalscorer with 550 goals in all competitions. However, injuries to key players such as Bobby Collins and Jock Steen in the run-up to the final had cost him dearly and McGrody was looking for a solution to find his best available team to bring the cup back to Celtic Park. When the team lineups were announced, all the talk on the Celtic terraces of Hamden was of the right-back Mike Hockney playing inside right in order to give the Hoops some bite in their attack which due to their injury crisis was looking more toothless than one would expect from the Parkhead side. This was not the first time in recent years when Celtic had taken a gamble with the lineup in a cup final. As the previous year against Clyde they had played Sean Fallon at centre forward instead of his usual right-back position. An experiment that failed as Clyde scored with the last kick of the game and then won the subsequent replay. These weird and occasionally wonderful lineup changes were attributed by many Celtic fans to their chairman Robert Kelly having too much influence on the playing side of the club. The team lineups were as follows Hearts Wally Duff, Bobby Kirk, and Tam McKenzie, Dave Mackay, Freddie Glyden, captain, and John Cumming, Alec Young, Alfie Cohen, Willie Bold, Jimmy Wadhaw and Ian Crawford. Celtic. Dick Beattie, Frank Meekin and Sean Fallon. Captain. 
Eric Smith, Bobby Evans and Bertie Peacock. Billy Gregg, Mike Hockney, Neely Malkin, Willie Fernie and Charlie Tuller. Bobby Davison Airdrie had the honour of officiating between the two teams and Hugh Taylor, journalist and writer of the Scottish football book, wrote that Davison was to be considered a young official rapidly rising to the top. Davison would later referee the 1970 final between Aberdeen and Celtic. The match began and it seemed that Hearts were slightly nervous, perhaps not quite playing with their usual swagger due to the weight of expectation on them to go out and cause a shock. After Hockney slapped a shot, Hearts had the first golden chance of the game as Wardhaw passed to Crawford, completely bypassing Meekin and leaving the outside right one-on-one -on -one with the goalkeeper. Crawford's shot deflected off Beatty's leg and out for a corner, and the Hearts fans sensed this could be their big chance. The goal came minutes later as Bobby Evans made a mistake to allow Ian Crawford to get away and it went right past the helpless Beatty. 1-0 to Hearts. Hearts were ahead and would stay on top until the interval. Beatty had to come to Celtic's aid after Meekin was caught off guard by Crawford and Wardhaw. Celtic were able to force some corners but the Tynecastle defence held firm. Willie Fernie and John Cumming collided just before the break and Cumming would go off early for treatment but returned, patched up, to the field after half-time. As Davidson, the referee, blew for half-time, Hearts had one hand on the famous old cup and were looking good to inflict more woe on Celtic after the break. At half-time, the score was Hearts 1, Celtic 0. The game restarted and Hearts were still slightly nervous in their play. Celtic being the experienced finalists that they were showed some early second-half determination to try and get themselves back into the match. Neely Malkin played a deft pass straight through to Billy Craig who was able to get round Willie Duff in the Hearts goal. Surely this would be the moment the young outside right put his name in lights. Alas, it wasn't to be as a subsequent shot went wide to the dismay of the green and white crowd behind the goal. Still 1-0 to Hearts. This seemed to coincide with Celtic coming into the game and it looked like they might take the game by the scruff of the neck. Not content with just the one cup final goal, Willie Bald fed the ball to Ian Crawford in an excellent position and the shot hit the back of the net with nothing Dick Beatty could do about it. Hearts 2, Celtic 0. This was the point when Hugh Taylor remarked that the Edinburgh fans really believed their dream was coming true. But when you come up against a side like Celtic in a cup final, you can never relax fully. Realising they were about to be beaten finalists two years in a row, the Hoops rallied and won a free kick which was taken by Charlie Tully. While Tully shot straight towards Duff who collected the ball easily, Duff was charged by Mike Hockney and the ball was no longer in his grasp. The ball fell kindly to the former Seaforth Highlanders captain who was able to put the ball into the net. 
Hearts 2, Celtic 1. Celtic had a goal back, and while the maroon hordes in the west side of the ground implored for Davidson to award the foul, the goal stood. Would the jam tarts crumble, or did they have the nerve to hold on for a famous win? Celtic continued to attack and had a penalty appeal waved away by Davidson as Freddie Clinton collided with Neely Morgan on the edge of the 18-yard box. This time, it was Celtic who would be complaining that a decision had gone against them, but the Hearts fans were cheering for their captain as he walked away unpunished, while Morgan was deemed to have used his hands. Time was running out for both teams now, and as the hoops were going up to attack, the referee awarded Hearts a free kick on the halfway line, which was taken by Bobby Kirk. The ball came into the box, and the green and white defence were desperate to clear it. Unfortunately for them, they failed to clear the ball, and Alfie Cohen had other ideas, firing the ball into the roof of the net. Whilst Beattie was able to get a touch on the ball, he couldn't stop it going in, and Hearts surely had their winner now with 10 minutes of normal time remaining. Hearts 3, Celtic 1. The Celtic heads finally went down and Hearts were able to relax as their opponents looked resigned to back-to-back final losses. When Davidson blew at full time, the west side of Hamden erupted with sheer glee as their cup hoodoo was over. Hearts had beaten Celtic 3-1. Freddie Glidden climbed the stairs with the rest of the victorious Jambos to collect their medals at the all-important Scottish Cup, and he hoisted the trophy aloft to the jubilant crowd who had witnessed their first Cup win at Hamden. John Cumming was asked by the press about his injury and the blood streaming from his head after the challenge with Willie Fernie, to which he uttered the immortal words, Blood doesn't show on a maroon jersey. These words became part of the Hearts legend and are placed above the inside of the players' tunnel at Tynecastle to inspire present and future Hearts teams to give their all for the jersey. Hearts have managed to live up to the expectations placed on them by many. Hugh Taylor noted in his review of the match that, apart from the Hockney goal, Duff hadn't saved one real shot during the match. Bill Heaps of the Edinburgh Evening Dispatch said, The Cup was a long time coming to Tynecastle, much longer than it should have been considering the grand football which has been played by successive Hearts teams during that barren half-century. The Cup was always just around the corner, like so many of the other soccer prizes, but Hearts never managed to take the turn. Now they are round and there is a bright future stretched before them. Hearts were in the middle of a golden era that had started with their League Cup win in 1954 and after their 1956 Scottish Cup win would go on to even greater success. Tommy Walker would become the most successful manager in Hearts history, winning two League Championships, one Scottish Cup and four Scottish League Cups in a nine-year spell. These fantastic achievements are unrivalled by most managers who have graced the Scottish game, and for a club outside of the old firm to achieve such sustained success over a decade is exceptional. 
Following the arrival home of their Hamden heroes, Hearts fans took to the capital streets and painted the centre of Edinburgh maroon, where their heroes paraded the cup from an open-top bus on Princess Street. The signs carried by the fans read, Hearts are trumps, and after the 1956 cup final, they were absolutely right. Thank you for listening to the very first edition of the Scottish Football Citizen. Subscribe to us on your favourite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And join us in the new year when we'll be looking back at more of the best of Scottish football from the past. The Scottish Football Citizen is written, edited and produced by Andy Kerr for Football Memories Scotland in association with Alzheimer Scotland and the Scottish Football Museum. Additional contributions from Robert Harvey, Jim Orr and Richard McBearty.